Have you or someone you know been experiencing a midlife crisis and facing sudden changes that make you question your own life path and decisions? Why do we go through that period? How can we prepare for it and reemerge on the other side stronger than we have ever been? Join me after the intro for a conversation with a very special friend with whom we will answer this and many more questions. Stay tuned. Do you feel stuck in your life? Do you feel unhappy but not completely sure what that is? Do you hold a grudge towards someone for something they did which affects you and the way you live your life? Have you ever told someone, I forgive you, but in reality you were not completely over what happened? Why is it so difficult to truly forgive? How do we forgive? And can anything and anyone be forgiven? Hi, my name is Rosanna D and I'm the host of the Forgiven Tribe Show. This is a safe and not judgmental place for sharing opinions and challenging experiences where the practice of forgiveness helped individuals to get unstuck and create a much more fulfilling life than they had before. Join me in this exciting journey to unveil how you too can have the life you deserve. Simply click the subscribe button below to receive notification about future episodes. Welcome to the Forgiven Try Show. Back in the 60s, psychoanalyst Elliot Jack noted that patients in their mid to late 30s seemed to go through a depressive period as sudden lifestyle changes as they confronted the idea of their own mortality. After this observation, he coined the term midlife crisis. Now, while the idea of a midlife crisis being an inevitable reality doesn't hold too much weight today, some of us do face new stresses as they enter those years. And depending on your circumstances and outlook, it can easily become a stressful and confusing time. So today we want to understand how we can navigate that period, thrive afterwards, as well as understand how much of, for example, some of the stereotypes we have about midlife crisis correspond to reality. And we are joining this conversation by a friend, Joe Zulaika, who is a trained certified coach, speaker, workshop facilitator, and director of leader development at Backroads. Joe, as a coach, has spent over 30 years training, mentoring, and coaching women in leadership positions from all over the world, focusing on developing their emotional intelligence. Joe has been a keynote speaker at the Harvard Club, she was filmed by CNN for her powerful public speaking training and was also featured by Inc. Magazine for her signature leadership programs. Hi, Joe. Welcome to the Forgiven Tribe Show. Thank you so much for being with us today and taking the time. Hi, Rosanna. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. It's my own pleasure. So, Joe, I'm really excited to talk about this uh, topic today. But first and foremost, I want to know a little bit more about you. Uh, what was your uh, journey into becoming a mentor and, and a coach? And yeah. particularly work with, with women yes. facing this uh, tough period uh, in yes. our lives. Yeah. 
Yeah. Rosanna, you know, you and I were talking before the podcast started about burnout. And for me, I was really finding myself in my corporate career starting to bottom out in my enthusiasm, in my um, momentum, my motivation. I was really feeling um, the long-term impact of a stressful career. And I was very, um, I wouldn't say that I was desperately unhappy. I was just sort of constantly feeling low and drained. So I sought out a coach to help me figure out what was going on, actually, to be quite frank, it was to like devise an exit strategy. Like, how do I get out of this corporate career that is just, it felt like I was just oozing my energy out and, and like not living my days in the way I wanted. I just felt overly taxed, overworked, overstressed. So I hired a coach and it was through working with a coach that I realized, oh, I really like this work. I love this aspect of personal development and finding, you know, my core values and finding my internal compass. And it was so powerful that I became a coach. So that's kind of my story. And I ended up leaving my corporate career and now I coach full time. Wow, that's a a beautiful story, a beautiful experience, especially because it's very much felt you you were there right totally so today we talk about this uh, topic how to navigate that stressful period that we go through right first of all how would you define it there are lots of stereotypes that we have and some of them might sort of be all right uh, and correspond to reality but some others are completely wrong right right would you have some sort of definition? For me, I think, you know, I can only speak for myself and the women that I work with. I feel like um, it was just a gradual sense of increasing unease, of feeling like that which excited me and motivated me was become a smaller and smaller percentage of what I experienced. And it felt like just sort of like a, like a little bit of a death, you know, like I wasn't excited anymore to be doing what I was doing. I I wasn't um, feeling fulfilled. I wasn't, uh, it just felt like there was something that wasn't fitting or suiting me. It's sort of like this awareness that now what, like, what is it that I'm doing? And is this really what I want to be doing with my life? So, Rosanna, I would say it's kind of a growing sense of unease, a growing sense of awareness that there's something missing or something more. Does that make sense? It, it does, and I can so much resonate with that, and not just from a personal point of view, but also by looking at some of my, my girlfriends. Um, yeah. It seems that we are all sort of facing the same, same question. So why are we going through the, this period? Uh, do we make wrong choices uh, altogether uh, in, in our 20s? Or it, it's, it's okay to question? Well, you know, I think, um, I, I think the typical female experience is, it's sort of like we're socialized from a young age to be a helper, to be like 
um, an integrator or a harmonious, a harmony seeker in a family unit. It's sort of this, um, you know, you, I've seen you write about this, Rosana, like being sort of a people pleaser or being uh, the person that kind of goes along to get along. And we want to be pleasant and pleasing for our father, for our mother, for our, our friends, for our boss, for our um, newly, like our new family that we grow with our partner and our children. And we spend all of this time, I think, ministering to everyone else's needs, right? Like thinking outside of ourselves about what other people need, what makes them happy, what makes them comfortable, what we can do to be a helper that over time that sort of erodes your really strong self-concept of who am I? If I'm constantly thinking about other people, by virtue of that practice, habitually over time, I'm going to forget about who I really am. Does that make sense to you? It does. It does. And so when we go to that period we face that, that crisis between what is our responsibility towards the rest of the world. I mean, uh, as, as you said, we, we have all these uh, commitments and uh, children and husbands and, um, you know, parents right. and, and the job and uh, the house. Everything is, is a big, becomes a big burden. Right, right. And, and then we feel at the same time that we want an escape, we want a way out. Yeah. Manage that and we manage uh, perhaps that sort of self-talk when we keep saying, you know what, this is my life, I need to stick to this responsibility. And then the, the devil says, well, you don't have to. I always have this image of the, the two little, the angel and the devil on my shoulder. Right, yeah, <laughs> right. Well. I think that there can be a middle path. It doesn't have to be this all or nothing, like I'm just going to, you know, hit the eject button and propel out of my life, move to the Bahamas, become, you know, a seashell vendor and forget that I have any ties to my family. I think the, the, the real courage is to stay in your life, but become who you're meant to be. So that means to me, like, you don't have to necessarily leave your relationship, your, your marriage. You don't have to um, sort of discard your responsibility as a parent or a homeowner. How can you hold those and be more honoring to who you're meant to be within that structure? Like, you, you can actually re-author the story of your life, even with many of the circumstances still in place. I think that's actually a bigger challenge than just, like I said, hitting the eject button and, you know, changing your name and, and moving to a, a foreign country. Uh, and it, it does take courage. Mm. Do you think that, you mentioned before, you know, this... Uh... Uh, behaviors of being people pleasers uh, yeah. uh, as women we normally have and is uh, uh, perhaps what um, a need for external validation perhaps is connected to that that we always 
need to find someone saying, oh, you know, you have been a good girl. Well done. Yes, yes. Well, I think that we're, we adopt that, that core belief at a very young age. It's how we were socialized, right? Like we look to our parents to see if we're gaining their approval or not. And we become very much susceptible to changing our behavior to make sure that other people are happy with us. And that leads to this pattern of people pleasing of then behaving so that we receive approval or we receive validation or we, we start to know ourselves only through the eyes of how well received we are by others. It's not a habit for every woman, but it's definitely um, something that I found is quite common with many women in many different cultures socialized to be amenable, easygoing, um, a peacekeeper, somebody who uh, just finds her way through that strategy. This can be even with really successful women in the workplace, we can become very um, capable of getting results through making people happy. Like we can use people pleasing almost as a strategy to advance our career. Like when the boss is pleased with us, when we're taking on extra work, when we're really amenable, when we say yes, even when we mean no, when we uh, are making things easy for others, that can make us very popular at work very high performer at work. And so we start to fall into this trap of, of pleasing to perform and performing to please. And that creates this identity of who we think we are has to be the person who smiles, the person who says yes, the person who goes along with to get along, the person's a little more passive, the person who doesn't ripple the waters. And when you've developed that identity and you've sort of laid that framework for years and years and years, it can be really challenging to pull yourself out of that groove. Yeah, I, I'm, I can definitely see that. And um, I'm a self-confessed uh, people pleaser um, myself. And I know that that was one of the reasons why I, I burned out. Uh, there were many reasons, but um, one of them was I, I had to be the nice girl. I had to yeah. do everything to, to help uh, everybody else. So um, I can see, um, you know, how that uh, can evolve eventually in, in a situation that is not really uh, ideal. Right. So would you say that we burn out, for example, uh, because we, are, we have this sort of behaviors um, or a lot of people do go into burnout because of that? You get to a point. Yes. Too much. Well, I think, yeah, I think burnout is a, is a function of us sort of like, like splicing a piece off of ourselves when we're not fully in alignment, when we're not happy with the choices that we're making every day, if they're not aligned with who we really feel we are inside and our values. If we start kind of having the split personality of like, there's the real me, but there's also this me that operates in the world that's sort of not the true me. That can, that's dissonance, right? You're not, it's not super simple just to be you. Then you're creating a circumstance where it takes energy to hold the facade of this other version of you. And that is going to exhaust you. Mm -hmm. 
you know, if, if you were really able to um, make all of your choices aligned with your values, what, with what fulfills you, with your true core nature, there would be no burnout. You could work endlessly because it would be the work that you chose was self-motivating and self-gratifying and, uh, and the, you, the results that you got were exactly the, what motivated you to do it again. It wasn't like it was an effort. But when it becomes an effort, you're really starting to drain your energy. And I think that that's, that's the core hazard of adopting this people-pleasing persona over time is that you're, not, you're starting to create this dissonance between your true self and your externally socialized self out in the world. And at some point, there's going to be a bit of a crash there. That's so interesting what you're saying, because it offers also a possibility perhaps to almost prepare to that space. Mm -hmm. uh, if you know uh, what can come on the other side, mm -hmm. right? Um, so what would you say are the sort of symptoms that we need to pay attention before getting into that stage where too much becomes too, really too much? And, uh, and we can start saying, okay, perhaps I need to slow down. Perhaps I need to realign myself. I, I need to change my direction. Great question, Rosanna. Uh, what, one simple, simple thing that I teach all of my new clients right when they come on board with me is to just simply start to tune in to themselves. Very, I call it tune into you. And if you just, if you've been operating on autopilot and functioning as that people pleaser or that helper or that overperformer in your family, in your community, at work, you likely are, you've, you've stopped really tuning in to your own inner heartbeat, your own inner drum, if you will. And so I, I challenge the gals who are new to coaching with me to simply ask themselves three questions over and over and over throughout the day to clarify more about what's going on on the inside to help them grow that muscle, that self-awareness muscle, so that, like you said, Rosanna, that you don't end up kind of at this cliff and just falling off of it because you went for so long without tuning in. And those three questions are super simple. It's just, what am I feeling right now? How do I know it? And how do I want to feel? There's no requirement at the beginning to even take action, to even radically shift anything. It's just to know. It's just to become aware. So let me just break that down a little bit uh, even further. It could be like a busy woman's life, right? You're getting ready. You're trying to leave the house. You're trying to gather up all your things. And you just take a second to think, hang on, I need to tune in and be, wait for a quick second. Like, what am I feeling right now? Well, I'm feeling hurried, harried, nervous, late, um, self-judgmental because I'm, I am late. I feel like I'm always late. I'm mad at myself. I, I, don't, I didn't eat. You know, like all the things. It could be very mundane, just daily things. What am I feeling right now? And the second question, how do I know it? Well, because I'm racing. I'm racing thoughts. I have a tightness in my belly. I haven't taken a deep breath. 
it's I know I know that I'm feeling this because of my thoughts and my my body feeling. That's huge to be able to name those things. That's huge awareness. And how do I want to feel? The third question is, gosh, I wish I really would like to just feel calmer. I would like not to feel nervous right now. I would like to feel at ease. I would like to feel more confident. I would like to feel less self-judgmental. I'd like to feel less like a hot mess that I'm late. Great. By doing that, Rasana, just those three questions, you've done a quantum leap towards understanding what's happening in your experience when previously you were probably just operating on autopilot. Do you see how that could be true? Yeah. So how do I feel right now? How do I know it? Which I think it's very important, actually, uh, recognizing how much your emotional state affects, for example, your body. Um, sometimes when we go on autopilot, we completely disconnect the two. Uh, right. You know, we don't uh, uh, appreciate how much we embody uh, our uh, emotions and then how much uh, where I want to be. So I, I think it's a, it's a fantastic roadmap uh, already. So would that help also for someone who is facing now a uh, midlife crisis? Absolutely. I would say sometimes it's scary, right? It, that third question, and how do I want to feel? That can be a very challenging question, right, to face if you're deeply unhappy and you're not facing it, if you don't like your marriage, if you don't like your job. I mean, let's be frank, even if there are moments where you don't like your kids, you know, you're, you feel like there can be sort of a deep alien feeling when you really consider it. And that's why I think a lot of us just stay busy, you know, just keep doing the things because it's painful to kind of look underneath the rug at times. But um, if you have the courage to just be curious, you're beginning on the journey of knowing your true heart. You don't have to do anything scary. You don't have to leave your marriage and your kids. You don't have to leave your job right away. You can just start to be curious. What is it that my heart desires? What is, and then like, this is the process, right? Then over time you could say, well, if there's a desired feeling of ease, what's one thing that I could do in this moment that could bring a little more ease? Let's start really simple, right? I just want to take a deep breath. I'm going to take something out of my calendar. I'm going to start, stop over-scheduling myself so that I'm not always racing. I'm going to accept help. Anything like this, you know, is, is a way to start building that resilience against stress, helping you navigate the, the choppy waters of burnout. That is so interesting. But I can see how many women will really struggle with that. Mm -hmm. And one of the challenge, challenges that I can think of is the sense of guilt. The guilt that comes from uh, not overcommitting, for, for example, not keeping yourself always on the toes, uh, yeah. or taking time even just to breathe. Um, so all this can create... Uh, a completely different set of issues, right? Uh, when we sense 
that that sense of guilt. So what do you think about it? What can yeah. you do uh, perhaps not feeling that sense of guilt? And in line with this uh, uh, show, I would say what forgiveness or self-forgiveness could, could do? And is there any space in there? Yes. Well, that's such a good question, Rosanna. It's that's also deeply conditioned, right? Our beliefs that we adopted before we had the power to choose when we were just little girls, we followed the counsel of authorities in our life, our parents, our grandparents, our culture, our religion, that's really big, where we just assumed all of those beliefs because we couldn't think for ourselves. But there becomes a time in your life as an adult where you do make decisions all the time. You're just creating this story that some decisions are off limits. But really, you get to decide all the things. You can decide what color you want to wear, what, you know, the, the path you want to take as you drive to work. You get to decide all the things. What I encourage my clients to do is just to start finding that outer limit of what they think they're permitted to do and flirt with it a little bit. What if you pleased yourself in just a small extra way? What terrible outcome might come? Like actually pushing on that guilty um, boundary and noticing how you feel and if anything, uh, uh, any consequence occurred because you took that action. And what I find, here's the thing, is that when you act, like, it's often a story that's a lie. You think, well, I can't do that because they'll judge me, or I can't do that because I have to put my children first, or I can't do that. Like, there's these stories that we hold. But what I often will find my clients, they might try something, and then all of a sudden they say, my kid said, mommy, you seem so happy. What happened? And, and so we start to show ourselves that maybe there's a happy consequence that can come from knowing ourselves and taking actions that are not necessarily selfish, but are self-fulfilling and see how they actually can blend with our responsibilities. It's, pr it's pretty shocking to see. It's, we need to test those lies. I, I love that, uh, testing the lies, because I think uh, a lot of our life is, uh, is based on uh, the lies that we tell ourselves on uh, what others expect from us. And, and we make our life really, really uh, difficult. And, and with that, changing becomes very difficult. Right. Right. So based on your experience with your clients, in addition to this feeling of guilt, what would you say are other challenges or sort of resistance in, uh, in changing and embracing uh, a new path that they think? Mm. Well, I do think it comes back to those beliefs that are unexamined, that are deeply held from a long time ago. So they're habitual. And they're like, you know, we talk about in coaching neural pathways, like these grooves that your thoughts just flow unconsciously. Thoughts like, I'm not enough. I need to be different somehow to be better. Um, that I need to prove my worthiness, that I'm not 
naturally abundantly worthy of love and positive attention and all the beautiful things that I somehow have to earn it. There are a lot of, uh, so I would say there's several of that flavor and the solve for all of them is the same, which is just to be really curious about, is that thought really true? And how do you know it's true? We think that they're true because we've been believing them for a really long time, but when we're curious about them, when we test them, when we um, challenge them, we may find that they don't need to be governing our behavior anymore. In fact, here's another thing that's kind of a surprise is that we, we hold ourselves sort of both lesser than our, you know, all the other responsibilities that we have to our family and our community and our job and all the things. But we also sort of have this unconscious belief that we're more important than anybody even considers. Like, here's a, like a brain blowing moment is you could make some subtle shifts in your thoughts and beliefs and no one will really know. You know, like we sometimes think, oh, everybody's going to judge me. There may be a truth that they're not even paying that much attention to you. They're busy in their own drama. Mm. And so suiting yourself may not be the most radically challenging, confronting thing that you suspect it will be because people are not necessarily all focused on you all the time the way that we might be, be fearful that they are. Is, is this idea of uh, that you are the only person that you can do uh, that chore or that, take care of, of, of that situation and nobody else has the same ability uh, as you to carry that? Right, right, right. That's sort of a fallacy that we believe too that helps us feel our value. If, uh, you know, if somebody else does something well that we usually do, does that decrease our value? You know, you can think about the, the, the grandma, right? The, the matriarch of a family that must make the meal. Like it's, it's her recipe. It's she, you know, and she wants you to eat it. And so there's sort of this, uh, this sense of pride of ownership of the task or the skill that, that leads to your identity, which I, I bet you can really identify with culturally, right? Awesome. But, uh, but we can be very generous about that. We can, uh, we can celebrate somebody else being able to do a task and uh, enjoy a little bit of the ease of not being defined by the chore that we did, right? Like it doesn't... Our actions are not the thing that defines us, even if we are tempted to believe that that's true. Mm. That's a, a, an extremely good point. On the other side of the spectrum, if you like, there is also something uh, completely different. Many of the women that you work are in leadership position. Right. And when we face the sort of midlife period, many of us are going through changes, for example, at work. And we get a new career or a new position, uh, more responsibilities. And I've noticed that very often we tend to discount our abilities, even yes. though we got that. Even we, if we got a new job, we say, oh, you know, I was in the right place at the right time. I got lucky. 
this idea of self-doubt, how damaging is it? And how does or can it contribute to the crisis uh, that we face during those periods? Period. Absolutely. There's this notion of uh, unconscious competence, this idea that <clears throat> there becomes a stage in our ability to achieve results or to, be, to, to gain, uh, to, to make things happen that becomes invisible to ourselves. Like we don't see how talented we are anymore because it's just our own operating system. I sometimes say it's like the goldfish swimming in water. It doesn't know that it's in water, right? The goldfish doesn't even know it's swimming. It's just being a goldfish. But a bird looking at a goldfish bowl could be absolutely amazed to think, how does it do that, right? How does it swim? How does it live underwater? How does it you know, motate. Meanwhile, the goldfish looks at the bird and thinks, how do you use your wings outside in the air, right? We become unconscious to our own easy brilliance. And that is a very dangerous place to be. It, you can get into your 50s and th think that everybody knows how to do what you know how to do. But really, it's just that you know how to do it so well, you don't realize that you're that goldfish swimming in, a, in water. You can't feel the water anymore. And that can lead to this crisis of identity. Like, well, who am I? I'm, I'm nobody. I'm just a little fish. But no, you're brilliantly created in a way that is so unique that gets results in ways that a bird cannot, right? Mm -hmm. Just to use that metaphor. So you have to see what you're good at, not not imagine what you're missing. You don't need to be the goldfish wishing that you were a bird. You have to remind yourself, birds don't get to swim. I do. That's a very key thing about our self-concept is seeing what we're good at, realizing that it's not universal. Not everybody can do what we do in the way that we do it. In fact, nobody can be uniquely as talented, skilled with your life experiences than you. That's a very important practice to help stay centered and realize your value. I absolutely love that. It's uh, taking uh, this understanding and being uh, aware, really, of how much you have achieved already in your life and, uh, you know, take uh, ownership uh, of those achievements, which is yeah. very difficult to do, right? It's very, very difficult to do. So can we go through the life, uh, midlife crisis with all the understanding, all our abilities, all our achievements, and come out of the other side as drivers? Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I love, I love the energy. <laughs> oh, yes, absolutely. And I think that the point is to keep looking forward, not to torment ourselves with the time that's passed, not to feel like it's too late or that we missed something or we made a mistake or we somehow should have done something different than what we did. That's, that's a fool's trap. It really is important to see every single day you're making a step, whether you want to or not, that day happens. And that's your, all of your choices exist before you. They don't exist behind you. 
I think that many of us are tempted to feel regret, remorse, disappointment, and that's really not necessary. It's, it's why our eyes are in the front of our face is because we need to look forward, right? We don't need to look backwards. It's not, it's not valid. It's not helpful. It's not useful. And likely it's a distortion. If we're, if we're looking backwards, we're often doing it in judgment. We're not seeing all the good things that we created and all the wonderful choices that we made that did turn out well. We're, we're just looking for the, the error. So no, I absolutely think uh, every, you know, everything is before you. Everything is possible. Everything, age is, is uh, your benefit. Now you're, you're smart. You're aware. You have life experience. Your children are older. You can um, have more freedoms. You can choose. I absolutely love that uh, because I always uh, say something very similar to my mother. She always keeps saying, she started when she turned 60. I said, I'm 60 as our life has finished. You know, <laughs> don't, don't talk to me. I'm 60. Right. And, you know, as I said, well, what was the difference between the person you were yesterday? Yeah. How did you change overnight? You know, you are still the same capable person. And, but it's very difficult. It's so ingrained uh, in, into us in, in society in, in general. And I, I like what you said about this self-talks that we, uh, we do and we, we enter. So how can we uh, shut up a little bit? Yes. Critic. Well, it's a practice. It's a practice that we need to get, give ourselves some grace that uh, we, you know, there's a saying that there's one voice that you hear exponentially more than any other voice for in your life and you hear it every day, all day, and it's the voice of your inner thoughts. So if you realize that you have some disempowered thoughts or some critical thoughts, that you have that inner critic, that saboteur that sabotages you, we just need to realize, well, she's been here for every day of my life. So it might take a little while for me to dance with her and to get her to sit down, shut up. And it's really all awareness for us on it. It's all, it's all noticing like, oh, there she is. I sometimes do this with my, with my clients. We talk about the saboteur as if she is a little gremlin, this little cretin that lives inside your head. Somebody that's not you. It's just a little piece of you. Or like that sits on your shoulder like the devil that you talked about, right? And I even personify it. I, I have my clients think about, you know, what does it look like? Is it like a little old gnome? Is it all greasy and green and jealous and, and evil and negative? And just kind of, I like to actually make it quite small, like make it a very small little pathetic creature that you can look at and think, oh, you little cretin, you little negative Nancy, you little, you know, naysayer. And because I think that when we see that with humor and with like, even sort of like a loving, humorous aspect, it, ha it helps us have power over it. It's like, oh, there she is again. There she is chirping in my ear, telling me all the things that could go wrong. I don't need you today, sweetheart. Like you could name her, like you can sit down now. Thanks for sharing don't need you today. 
but but it you can see it takes like some energy right to like notice that she's there to um, personify her in the first place to talk to her and to choose not to listen to her so it's a, it's a practice and it takes some time to realize when that doubter is present and when your higher self is present i love the idea of gamifying uh, the inner critic and uh, how to get rid of it uh, i i absolutely i will i will try and as I said, I have some practice with my level <laughs> already, so it should be pretty easy and uh, quite fun. Um, but when you were talking, um, I had something that came to my mind and thinking about a person who has to go through that period and, and pivot in her life. What would you say are the sort of qualities or, or mindset that this person needs to acquire? In, in order to make that sort of transition as smooth as possible? Well, the, you know, we started by talking about that self-awareness piece, like understanding what it is that you're feeling and even tapping into the desire of what you want to feel with the third question there. I think the next step is really self-appreciation, gratitude for yourself, like love for yourself. I see many of my clients who suffer from the, you know, we talk about imposter syndrome or feeling not good enough or having that inner critic always kind of tearing them down, feeling quite nervous or burned out. The, when the, those who make the most successful transition out of that painful place are able to love who they are, maybe not 100% of who they are overnight, but to just start to see and appreciate who they are becoming and who they have already become really helps us ease the judgment. It helps us even out the scales of all of that inner critic bad talk to see, wait, what is good about what I, I am and do? What is good about what I create? What is good about my characteristics and skills? What can I enjoy and appreciate about the way I roll, the way I, the way I move through the world? And when we're really in that space, things are much easier. We're much more capable of seeing solutions for our lives. We're much more capable of um, resurrecting ourselves from those depths of bad feeling. So it's, it really comes to self-love. Appreciating ourselves. I... I love uh, what you have said because I, I can see in my own story how much self-love and lack of it at the very beginning really affected some of the decisions and some of the situations that uh, happened in my own uh, path. So that's a, a fantastic advice for, for everybody. Now, you mentioned at the beginning, talking about your own story, that you were in corporate America working your way up and then one day you said mm, okay this is not really working and then you pivot pivoted yeah. and you became a coach and many people go through that period and they say well you know what I don't actually like that job anymore I want and my next chapter to look actually different how do we find that new chapter mm. 
Such a good question. Well, the gals that come to me to be coached, I take them through a process. I think, you know, when we're talking about self-awareness and self-love, there are actual exercises that you could do to sort of peel back the layers, maybe that are on your heart and see what's in there. Like, what are you meant to be and do? What do you love? What fulfills you? Where's your passion? What, it, what, do you, um, what actions do you love to take that take no energy from you, that's easy for you to do? We all have them. The challenge is for us to find it, to find our own path. And it takes a little self-development, a little self-curiosity and inquiry. And it's, it might not be, I often think we make this mistake, Rosanna, thinking like, Oh, it is that point in the map. And that's where I'm going. I'm picking that point. And I'm going to do that. And really very few things in life are like that. You're really lucky if that's you. But most of us, we evolve into who we are becoming. We find our destination as we are going in the direction. We don't necessarily have to know where we're going to end up. We just need to start moving in that general area and follow our feeling, follow our energy, follow our good, positive thoughts, and we will find it. Things start to then open up. The people we surround ourselves with, the work we start to do, the the network that we're a part of, it all think that's when you're at a at a party and somebody says, wow, you sound really great. And there's this opening in my company that would be a perfect fit for you. Like that's when serendipity happens because it's not outer space. It's not like it's not that it was just fate. It's that you created the environment for those experiences, those opportunities, those um, connections to draw towards you, almost like a magnet. Uh, I love that. I love that uh, idea because if we think, for example, of changing and going from a, a career to something that is completely different, there is that sort of leap forward that comes with a lot of risk. Yes. And, and, and it's scary. While so scary. If you say, you know, imagine, give yourself a vision of what it could be and just start working towards it and, and be flexible, adaptable, change the situation as, as you go along and as people that you find in your path along your, your, your road will, will help you with. I think it's, uh, it's so much easier to step up and, and say, you know what, I can do this. Yes, exactly. And there will still be those moments. Like for me, I, I did become a coach as I was working in corporate. So I kind of had both of these things moving. There was still that scary moment of actually resigning from my 30-year career where I had a lot of identity wrapped up in my importance, my stature, my salary. My identity was really wrapped up in that, that high-level role. There, there still was a moment where I had to just pull the plug on that, and that is very scary. But because I had developed the coaching, it was a little bit of a lily pad that I could hop to. It, so sometimes it is a, a, a really um, seismic moment where things really feel like, ah, oh, this is big. And other times it's, it's just a very easy evolution. But either way, following your heart builds that lily pad that you ultimately are hopping towards to land on. 
So I love imagination. And uh, especially after my burnout, I started to work with it more and more often. So I would like to invite you to do an exercise of imagination. I, I know. <laughs> cool. So if you could picture to us how life could look like after that period of confusion and when we embrace the new path, how would you describe it? How about this? This is what came to me, Rosanna. You're a baby chick inside the egg. And uh -huh. all you know is the warmth of that egg and the color of the inside of the egg. And you don't think you want anything else until you're too big for that egg and you have to leave it. And then when you peck out, you don't know, like all of a sudden, wow, there's air, there's sky, there's sun, there's, you know, other beings. And it's super scary and disorienting. But you're still you, you're still your, your own fuzzy chick and now you get to stretch a little bit. Like know that no matter what, you're still you and you get to be you in the new environment. And you're just, you don't know what's on the other side of the egg that needs to crack. I love it. I absolutely love it. Well, that's, that's absolutely fantastic. Um, one thing that uh, always comes to, uh, to my mind when thinking about changing and, you know, moving from one path to another is what other people think about you? Yeah. What other people, will other people support you in, in that change or will they create obstacles to you? So how important is to own somehow that decision uh, for yourself and, uh, and say, you know, I made this decision for me and I go ahead whether you like it or not. Yeah. Just what you said. Just what you said. Like, I love the quote by Anais Nin. You know this quote? Um, and the day came when the risk to remain tight in a bud was more painful than the risk it took to blossom. Oh, wow. That's beautiful. Isn't that? And so it's all about your journey. Other people can look at you and say, oh, you should have stayed in the egg. You should have stayed tight in the bud. Who do you think you are to crack open the egg or to bloom so, so brilliantly? And at some point, mm. that's their bud. That's their egg. You need to do you. You. And you need that confidence to just hold that space, even when people question, what, you're going to leave that career? You're going to leave that salary? What are you going to do? How are you going to live? You know, in America, how are you going to pay for healthcare, right? Like that's our big, like all the fear. Yeah. But sometimes you just have to see that's their fear that they would feel if they were taking your risk. That's, then they don't have to. Don't take the risk if you don't want to feel the fear person, but don't give me your fear because you don't like seeing me risk. Like I got me. I'm, I'm going to be okay as this chick out in the wide world. I'm going to be okay as this blooming, but I'm, I got me. You have to have that confidence, right? That might take some practice first. I, I totally understand that. And I, I think that the, the other thing is, uh, you know yourself. And once you are in that space where you are pivoting, I think there is a level of courage that comes with that decision. And 
perhaps even freedom, because now you know where you want to go, that perhaps other people don't understand. Yeah. So you have a level of understanding that others don't, don't have. So I, I think it's important to stick with your, your plan. Yes. I, I absolutely love it. Fantastic. Joe, I want to come back a little bit on, uh, on you and uh, uh, understanding uh, what are you working right now? What, mm. is, what do you have in the pipeline? What is uh, uh, at the horizon for, you, for Joe? Well, um, I, I love doing this kind of converse, conversing that we're doing with Rosana. And I have um, my own community where I um, offer live trainings for free every month. Uh, that's a wonderful way for me to connect with the people who are resonant with this message. And that's something that I'm doing. And from those live trainings, um, I'm constantly meeting women who want to take this work deeper and work with me in a, a in a coaching container if you will so I have um, small group coaching programs for women in leadership to grow their confidence to grow their skills to uh, thrive and not fall into burnout by developing better self-awareness a better self-concept more self-confidence more uh, strength of self that's that's my whole jam that's what I do so, um, so if gals are interested who's, who are listening in, um, the easiest way to find me is at www.joeleader.com. My name is J, J-O, starts with the J, ends with an O, but like a, the, the female Joe. So at joeleader.com, every month I'm advertising what my free workshops are. And it's often after you would attend a free workshop that you would be interested in, in joining my, uh, my paid group coaching program. So that's kind of what I'm all about. That's fantastic. And we will put that link and uh, all your handles uh, uh, to social media in the description of today's episode. So all our listeners can just go and click and find you on, uh, on the other side. So good. Joe, one final question. If there was one take-home message that you would love everybody to remember from this conversation, what that would be? Wow. Thanks, Rosanna, for that. Um... Oh gosh, it's, you are strong enough to thrive through anything you already have. If you're doubting yourself, if you feel overwhelmed, if you feel like you lack self-confidence, you're just seeing what's missing. You're like the goldfish in the bowl. You're not seeing how brilliant you can already swim and all the skills and talents and characteristics that you already have. Absolutely beautiful. I love it. Thank you so much. Well, Thank I, you for having me. Well, I hope that this episode has provided insights and inspiration on how we can change our life and starting to live a life on purpose. And I want to leave you with a quote from writer... Donna Ricci, who said, midlife crisis begins sometime in your 40s when you look at your life and think, is this all? And it ends about 10 years later when you look at your life again and think, actually, this is pretty good. Joe, thank you so much for being with us today. I really, really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you. Thank you, Rosanna. Well, we would like to know what you think about this topic. Where are you in your journey? Do you have questions that perhaps we didn't address today? If so, let us know. Get in touch 
And also, don't forget to check Joe's website and to follow her on social media. We will put all the links in today's episode description. Join me next time when we will continue exploring inspiring and challenging situations. Because remember, we are together in this journey. Remember, forgiveness is like a muscle. The more you practice, the stronger and more effective it becomes. If you haven't done it yet, you can subscribe by clicking the subscribe button below. If you know anybody who could benefit from the topics discussed in this show, do some good and share the link with them. If you have a story that you want to share with us, comments or suggestions on topics you would like to be explored, send me an email at forgiventrive@gmail.com. Reviews will also be very much appreciated. And with this, it's a wrap. Till next time, thank you and goodbye.